I'm Jonathan Kubitschek with Kubitschek Farms in Hallisville, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello Texas, thanks so much for taking time to join us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, Texas cotton planting is rolling right along and we are right on schedule. That's the case across the cotton belt as well. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. If you're a rancher who wants to help produce high quality beef and get better value for the animals you sell, genetics is an important consideration. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. We will go to South Texas for an update on the region's cotton crop, which has faced many challenges this year due to rainy weather and cooler temperatures. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cotton planters continue to roll as we get the 2023 Texas crop in the ground. This week's Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report shows 23% of our cotton crop has now been planted. That is one point ahead of the five-year average pace. And that seems to be the case across the cotton belt, according to USDA's Brad Rippey. For the most part, everything's moving along on schedule for cotton planting. 22% of the crop planted on May 7th one point behind the five-year average and one point behind this time a year ago. Now, in terms of rapid progress during the week ending May 7th, we did see at least one-fifth of the cotton planted during the week ending May 7th in Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, and Arizona. And the greatest progress during the week was in Missouri. That cotton's grown in the boot heel. They saw a jump from 5% planted last week to 40% by May 7th. In South Texas, the crop is up and growing, according to BASF area manager Mark Kelling. He's based in Hondo. Well, for the 2023 season, we've actually got our crop planted and in the ground, and we've received some rainfall in the majority of the South Texas uh, producing area. So we've set up and started off very well in the South Texas market. Uh, We certainly continue to need some moisture as we get throughout the season, but we're off to a good start down south. A few other planting numbers in this week's report. 89% of the Texas rice crop is now planted, 77% of the corn crop in the ground, 73% of Texas sorghum is now planted, and 9% of the Texas peanut crop is in the ground. 
The nation's largest wool testing lab is now located here in Texas. Dr. Reed Redden oversees the improved and upgraded Bill Sims Wool and Mohair Research Lab near San Angelo. We've been standing up that lab. We opened in May of 2022, and um, we, we tested the majority of wool. Uh, that was available to be tested in the in the United States at that point in time. And then here in 2023, we're looking to probably double the amount that we tested in 22 and grow our capacity to where hopefully we'll be able to serve, you know, 80, 90 percent of the U.S. wool trade so that they have good, accurate testing. They can get those results in a timely manner and we keep the speed of commerce going on for our wool producers all across the U.S. The lab was upgraded through a partnership with the American Sheep Industry Association and is now the premier wool testing facility in the nation. Genetics is an important consideration if you want to produce high-quality beef. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. At the recent Hemp Hill County Beef Conference, ranchers had the opportunity to learn about the importance of genetics when it comes to the quality of beef and the value of calves being sold. Dr. Dan Hale is the Associate Director for Ag and Natural Resources for Texas A&M AgriLife. Here's a synopsis of what Dr. Hale told cattle raisers about choosing the right genetics when buying animals for breeding purposes. When you look at genetics, just think about putting together a female that really matches your environment and then selecting a sire that is going to match where you're selling. Are you going to sell heifers or are you going to sell finished beef? If you're selling finished beef, you need to select bulls that have that in mind. And there are many breed associations that have data with EPDs that they should be looking at when they're selecting bulls that will help govern and guide that process of finding the right genetics and that mix between the good female as well as their terminal bull that will go to the finished markets. So if you're looking to select a bull, let's say, for producing beef, what do you need to look for? So, well, you want to look at the genetics. First of all, you're going to look at gain. Of course, gain is very important, but also then you're going to look at, well, marbling and also frame. We don't want extremely large cattle. We want moderate frame cattle. There are things at your level that you can look at, but look at the data that the producer is sharing with you and seeing if they do have some carcass merit built into that. They might be either marbling or more important, it would be a carcass index where they look at not just marbling, but they look at the total value of the carcass that comes from that animal. More from Dr. Dan Hale about ways ranchers can get more value from the animals they sell in our next report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The South Texas cotton crop has faced some challenges so far this year with rain and cool temperatures. Tom Nicoletti goes to that part of the state for an update. Joining me today from Uvalde is Scott Stanislav. He is technical agronomist for DeKalb, Asgro, and Delta Pine. And Scott, you cover a wide region of South Texas from the Coastal Bend to the Winter Garden down to the Rio Grande Valley. What uh, do the crops look like here in the middle of May? We started off this year thinking that we were going to have a repeat of last year. We ended up starting to get into this rainy, wet pattern and cooler than normal pattern. This cotton crop planting is really stretched on for, it seems like, eternity this year. We, we 
we've kind of had almost three different planting windows on this cotton crop. Grain crops look outstanding this year, and, and the cotton crop has really struggled to establish stands and to grow off in a, in a manner that we would typically want. There's been quite a bit of seedling diseases such as Pythium and Rhizoctonia early on on this cotton that has taken out some of these stands that we've had to go back into and, and replant. As of close to mid-May, it's starting to turn around. We're still pretty wet. We're starting to get some warmer temperatures and, and this crop is starting to grow off like we want it to. Scott, on June 13th, an annual field day will be held in uh, Fort Bend County, west of uh, the Houston area for cotton, sorghum, and corn farmers. Give us some information on uh, what farmers need to do is to uh, get there. On Tuesday, June 13th, we'll have our annual field day at Paul and Linda Friend Farms just outside of Needville. Been doing that for a number of years. We showcase our corn products, seed and chemistry, our sorghum hybrids chemistry, as well as all of our cotton products and, and cotton chemistry. We've got the new Thrive On technology there to take a look at, talk about. If you're up in that area and, and are interested, get in touch with your local retailer or your local payer rep to get more details. That is Scott Stanislav. He is a technical agronomist with DeKalb Asgro Delta Pine in South Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Now we head out to West Texas to visit with Lubbock area farmer Eddie Griffiths. And Eddie, I hear we do have some cotton planters rolling there on the Southern Plains. I guess the past week or so, I've seen a few planters out there. There's still a lot still need to get rolling, but guys, I guess they're trying to get their planters set. And if you don't have they if they have some type of irrigation, especially drip, they're trying to go ahead and get that started and and utilize what moisture they have available there and get that crop emerged. It's still been pretty cold. Soil temperatures and the daytime temperatures have been fluctuating so much that it's going to have to be pretty hardy seed to be able to germinate and, and try to get a stand out of it. Well, Eddie, I know you've gotten some rainfall in that area, but it looks like if you don't get a lot more, it could be very difficult to get this cotton crop off to a good start this year. It's going to be very difficult. You're exactly right. I mean, we're 10, 12 inches behind where we need to be. We have been dry for the most part all winter and spring. We usually count on spring rains or at least a little bit during the winter time to try to build up that profile somewhat, especially on dry land and irrigated. Irrigated, we try to subsidize rainfall. And right now we're just subsidizing with pure irrigation and that's hard on the aquifer and the wells and it's hard to maintain a crop all year long without any help getting some type of rainfall, measurable rainfall. At this point, we're going to be needing inches to get us to where we need to be. We get a couple of inches that'll part of that profile filled up and then with nothing underneath it that will not bold well for the crops. And how about pasture conditions there in your part of the state, Eddie? The pasture started coming out, I guess, about a month or so, a month and a half, and getting some green vegetation out there. But without any rain, it's going to be going back into dormancy. So the situation probably with livestock is going to become pretty dire if they're in a dry part of West Texas. Feed supply, the hay, hopefully there will be some hay that will be available off irrigated acres of wheat and even a few dryland acres of wheat guys do not think it's worth taking to the elevator to roll it up bales and, and use it as livestock feed. That's Eddie Griffiths in the Lubbock area of the Southern Plains. For years, the Texas Dove Hunters Association has captured and banded invasive Eurasian collar doves. Now we're learning some interesting things about the doves from their field study. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
And downer cows are always a serious issue because very few of them ever get up. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Downer cows are always a serious issue because very few of them will ever get up. Dr. Bob Judd says good nutrition could stop some of those cows from going down. Dr. Twig Marston indicates at Drovers.com that milk fever, grass tetany, and pregnancy toxemia are three common causes of beef cattle to be unable to rise. All three are related to improper diets. These diseases are commonly seen either prior to or after calving, and milk fever occurs when the cow's blood calcium level drops and symptoms are weakness, low body temperature, lying down on their sternum, and eventually loss of consciousness. To aid in prevention, feeding a mineral supplement properly fortified with calcium is recommended so cattle do not have to mobilize calcium from the bones when nursing a calf. Grass tetany occurs due to magnesium deficiency and the diagnosis can be made by measuring magnesium levels in the blood and on clinical signs. Signs include a stiff gait, staggering, convulsions, muscle twitching, paralysis, and sometimes aggressiveness to humans. This disease usually occurs in the spring during cool periods when grass is growing rapidly and has high potassium, high nitrogen, and low calcium levels that can lead to an imbalance of minerals. Preventing grass tetany involves feeding a highly palatable magnesium supplement and making sure every cow gets the recommended amount per day. Pregnancy toxemia occurs in the last trimester of pregnancy and occurs when the energy demand of the calf exceeds the energy intake of the cow. Cows in poor body condition when calving are the most susceptible, and it is usually occurs if the cow has a large fetus and is being fed feeds low in energy and protein. Once cows develop this issue, it is difficult to save them. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. For years, the Texas Dove Hunters Association has banded and captured invasive Eurasian collared doves. Jessica Domel says they are learning some interesting things from their studies. Biologists are hard at work studying several years of data on Eurasian collared doves gathered by the Texas Dove Hunters Association through its annual Banded Bird Challenge. On our last show, Bobby Thornton, co-founder of the association, told us it appears as though the birds exhibit a homing behavior. This past year, three of the birds that were turned in were two of them were 2019 birds. One of them was a 2020 bird. They were all three harvested in the same general area. And I'm talking about within two square miles. And we're looking at 1,100 days on two of them and 700 days on another traveled 600 miles on one, 650 miles on another, and 414 miles on another. These birds are going long distances 
and over a long period of time headed back to where they were and they're all being found real close to where they were actually trapped. Over the years, 3,700 of the invasive Eurasian collar doves have been captured, banded, and released in Texas. Hunters harvested and reported back the bands off of 209 of the birds. From the last six years of birds that were turned in, almost 70% of these birds head back in a north or northwest direction. Now, I'm talking about birds that were released in the valley, in Pearsall, Floresville, different areas in the south, south of Highway 90. These birds are going back north, which we don't understand because there's plenty of good habitat, grains and everything else, small grains that they have to eat and can live off of in this area or even down in the valley, yet they turn and head back north. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle complex on Thursday. Cotton and grains closed lower. We'll check out all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a mostly negative day in our agricultural markets on Thursday. Live cattle, cotton, grains all finishing in the red. Feeder cattle about the only positive close we saw. But first, here's the live cattle closes. June live cattle dropping five cents, one sixty-two ninety-five. The August down thirty-seven at one sixty-eighty. October live cattle dropped forty-five at one sixty-four fifty-five. Feeder cattle higher on all except the nearby May. It was down a buck twenty-five, two oh four twelve. The August up ninety-two cents, two twenty-six oh seven. With September feeders up ninety-two, two twenty-nine thirty. Cash fed cattle market dropping lower again this week. Packers able to ratchet prices down to a buck seventy. Feedlots taking that one seventy. That's two bucks lower than last week. However, there are still cattle left on the show list. Those are priced at one seventy-two. Boxed beef prices were mixed Thursday. Choice down 83 cents, 306.04. Select up 14 at 284.68. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Benny Cox, producers in Cargyle, had a sheep and goat sale Tuesday. Benny, how did it go? Oh, we had another big one. We had just over 8,000 for the total on the sale. Uh, we sold them all yesterday, uh, you know, on up into the night. We still didn't have any wool lambs to speak of to establish any kind of trend. These slaughter lambs, these hair sheep type, were sure 10 to $15 lower again. Uh, the slaughter ewes, they were softer, kind of 10 to 15 lower on those as well. Kid goes were 20 to $30 lower. Uh, the slaughter na- nanny sold in a range of 90 up to as high as 160 but mostly 122 to 132 on the slaughter nanny. Uh, we did have a little play on some of these some of these younger nannies. They were kind of firing at those. Uh, the slaughter billies, they sell for 170 to 240 The range on the few 
bull lambs that we did have that were, you know, castrated and all that from 182 all the way up to 202 on some lilac. On the slaughter lambs, the hair sheep tap the lighter end of those from 190 to 234, heavier weights from 140 up to as high as $2. Uh, the slaughter you 70 to 110, to possibly 77 to 80 for eight. Kid goat sold a range from 230 to 380, uh, mostly 290 to 340 on the top end of those. Any change on the cattle side of it? Oh, I really don't have a feel for it. They're promising big rain. Of course, they've been doing that for about three weeks now. We hadn't got anything, but uh, everybody seems to think maybe this is this is going to be the weekend. I don't. People may hold up for you know one or two more weeks, and then I think it's going to be Katie part of the door if we don't get some substantial moisture. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, we could have a thousand, but we got to get there first. Tell everybody how to contact you, Benny. They can call me on my mobile is 325-234-4277. The office is the same area code, 653-3371. Or they always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Thank you very much. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Neighbor, thanks for listening to Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. I put it all together for you, and you're listening to us on Texas Ag Today. Back on over to the futures market now, where lean hogs were mixed in Thursday's trade. The nearby May contract very lightly traded. It was up two cents, 76.60. The June down 30 at 83.87. Class three milk lower. Nearby May milk down 18 cents, 16.28 a hundredweight. June milk down 28 at 16.91 a hundred. Triple digit losses in the cotton market on Thursday. Some negative economic news out of China. A rally in the U.S. dollar and rain in West Texas, all pressuring the cotton market lower. July cotton dropped 114 points, 79.62. The October down 109 at 80.15, while December cotton dropped 116 points, 79.60. That rising dollar didn't help things in the corn and wheat trade either. Of course, corn has already been struggling with export sales this year. And, of course, a rising dollar definitely puts a dent in exports. July corn dropping 11 and three quarters, 582 and a quarter, with September corn down 7 and three quarters, 515 a bushel. Wheat market lower on both hard and soft wheat. July Kansas City wheat dropping 13 and three quarters, 841 and a half, with July Chicago wheat down 14, 627 and a quarter. In the energy markets Thursday, June natural gas was unchanged at 218. June West Texas crude down $1.72 at $70.84 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed Thursday afternoon. The Dow down 274 points at 33,256. The Nasdaq up 24, 12,330. The S&P down 10 at 4,127. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.